Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to the Preacher's Corner. I'm Pastor Jay, and today we're going to get into the prophecies that come forth from Zechariah. Of course, we, necess we can't necessarily blame Zechariah for the prophecies, but the Holy Spirit that's going to speak through him. Nevertheless, it's going to be the prophecies of Zechariah concerning his son John and concerning the events of the future that are ultimately going to lead to the recognition of the Messiah who has come into the world next uh, through Mary and who will be able to deliver not just Israel, but the whole world. That's a pretty exciting situation as we continue our study of the advent of our King in, in these days. So let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are grateful for your blessing. We thank you, Lord, for everything that you've done for us. As we think about this Advent season, we think about the gift that you have given unto us, the Lamb of God, which takes away our sin. And Lord, we anticipate the coming again of our kings as the Lion of Judah to establish his rule upon this earth, and that for a thousand years he shall rule and reign, and righteousness shall be the way of the world until the time of the final judgment, and then, Lord, to be delivered unto the promise that he had made in John 14 of the room that we have in the house of the Father. And, Lord, we'll just praise you and thank you for all that we receive today from thy word in the blessed name of Jesus. Amen. Indeed, it is a great thing to think about. And as I was out visiting yesterday, I, come, I had a couple of conversations with some beautiful people talking about that, that room that we have that is being prepared for, or, for us or is already prepared for us. We know not if that be the case, but the one thing we do know is that in the Father's house, there are many rooms, rooms as large as mansions, as would be referred in the King James text, uh, as it would say in John 14, that he would say, you know, in my father's house are many mansions, and I go there to prepare a place for you, and if I uh, am going there and preparing a place for you, then, then where I am you will also be. <clears throat> in fact, he said, if it wasn't true, I would have told you. And so there's an excitement about the things that are coming to pass. And, and it's all possible because of this very Advent season that we, are, that we are very intently studying. Now, is it the case that our Savior was born on December 25th? Well, I highly doubt that. It's not that I can't say that, it, that it's exact, but I highly, highly doubt that. Uh, we, we contrive this particular holiday season through, through certain pagan rituals. There's no question about that. You hear people running around, especially during the Christmas season, that, that don't want people to be happy, that don't want people to, be, to celebrate. Uh, so they go off spouting about how it's a pagan holiday and how it's Yule logs and all these other things and, and worshiping the evergreens and this and that and the other and blah, 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 blah. Uh, indeed, they're not wrong. Indeed, that is true. Uh, this this did originate as a, a pagan holiday. It, it consisted of 12 days. Of course, you're the 12 days of Christmas. Uh, most people believe that Christmas just happens on December 25th with a Christmas Eve on the 24th, and then it's all over. It's time to go back to business as usual. But that wasn't the case in Europe. 
uh, where this, these uh, traditions began was actually from December 25th at the height of the winter solstice at the shortest day of the year, and it carried on for 12 days. And so very important to realize that it wasn't until somewhere around January 6th from December 25th that you that you actually have an end to the Christmas season. So that's that's a pretty long time, right? Well, uh, we've lost all of those traditions, certainly, uh, except in some circles of, of people that continue to celebrate those 12 days. However, uh, it's, it's good for us to understand that, that it's just the time that we're able to share Jesus. Guys, don't get discouraged by all of this, this pagan stuff and all this other junk that's going around and being spouted out. Uh, there's no questions about what the origins of a thing were when they began. I get that. But when we take this opportunity to to reveal Jesus, to proclaim Christ, to rejoice in, in the birth of our King, whether it happened in the, in the first month of the, the Hebrew calendar year, uh, recognized in, in April, March, April time frame, whether it happened in the seventh month of the Hebrew calendar year, which is another first month, which was back there in October or September, as recognizing either Rosh Hashanah or Pesach in the, in the Hebrew calendar feasts, re- regardless of when the Savior came into the world, of course, uh, was it warm enough for the shepherds to be outside watching their flocks by night? As we understand all of these different nuances and, and, and issues that we can cover on another episode, of course. But the simple point that we're going through in the in the narrative of Advent here in these in these in these chapters we're covering is is that he came, is that he was born under this earth and that he entered into his creation that he ended up as we should celebrate there during the Easter season, which is another pagan holiday, but we use it to commemorate the 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 Calvary events that lead to the resurrection of our Savior and the ultimate hope that we cling to and the deliverance of us from our sins unto salvation to be with the Lord forever. Hallelujah. And so that which was intended for evil certainly can be taken back and used for the good of the glory of God and of his kingdom through the gospel being shared during a period of time in a year where people are very open to hearing about it. That's very important for us to understand. So let's dig into the prophecies here at the end of chapter 1 in Luke, and, and then we'll move over to chapter 2 on Monday. That'll be a pretty exciting time. So here we see that in verse 67, we'll go ahead and we'll start reading, and we'll read down to verse number 80, and then we'll back up and we'll take it verse by verse. So the scripture says, And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he sware to our father Abraham, 
that he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest, for you shall go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. Through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in the spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his showing unto Israel. <laughs> so very exciting in the situation that we have here, the prophecy that Zechariah would make about his own son. But in point of fact, it's not actually Zechariah's who is making this prophecy, but God the Father that's proclaiming a prophecy over Zechariah's son. How do I know this? Well, in verse number 67, it says, and his father Zacharias was, take a look at this, filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, up until the time that Jesus breathes upon his disciples there in John chapter number 20 at the other side of the resurrection when he proclaimed uh, as breathing upon them, receive the Holy Ghost, up until that time and then unto Acts chapter number 2 where you see the Holy Ghost come upon the congregation that is gathered together in the upper room there, there in Jerusalem, we discover that the Holy Spirit is not indwelling upon all believers as the Holy Spirit does today uh, to seal us unto the, the promise of our salvation as we understand that <laughs> Jesus has yet to be given as the lamb for the slaughter and unto the resurrection. So this isn't the case. But we do know that throughout all of the old covenant scriptures that, that the Holy Spirit does come into, say, different kings as giving divine leadership ability to a people who normally wouldn't be able to do the things they did, such as David, such as Samson, such as uh, a lot of different people in that area during the time of the judges as well. We see that the Holy Spirit is, is an active agent in, in certain people, but not indwelling all people that, that trust in the Lord during this period of time. So the Holy Spirit coming into Zechariah, is, is this what God is going to speak through Zechariah? And this is very exciting because the, the things that are about to be said are not Zechariah in, in his testimony about his son or of the coming Messiah. These things are the testimony of God that is being spoken through him. Now, this is what we would hope every Sunday that would come from our pastors, isn't it? That they would be filled with the Holy Ghost and so that that message that would come from them would not be their message, but would be from the Holy Spirit, a message that comes forth through them from God by his word. It's exactly what we would desire, or at least let me say it again, that's exactly what you should be desiring. Now, unfortunately, we've gotten wrapped up in, in American society with the concept of an entertainment-based a church where where we thrive on the show instead of the revelation of biblical truth and so 
Uh, oftentimes, we would rather it be done by the, by the will of man instead of the will of God, even though we will say that we're desiring God. Uh, we're not interested in the pastor getting up there and proclaiming the hard truths of the Bible, but more interested in hearing about how I could have a better week, helping me through uh, some of the, the, the difficulties or challenges that I'm, I'm going through in my life right now, more of a motivational self-help kind of situation. Then we would hear about the unrighteousness of our life, the sin nature that we have, uh, the, the, the hardships we're going through and the reason behind the, the wickedness that we've done that brought forth the consequences of those hardships that we're going through and the fact that we need a Savior and, and we are not in ourselves good and or righteous. So we, we've got this situation where uh, we would we call it the will of God as being proclaimed to us, even though we want the will of man to to comfort us. And so we've got this entertainment based gospel with an entertainment based church in 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 the U.S. today. But there's still some hope out there, and these little old backwoods country towns and these beautiful plains, rural places where the, the freedom of the Holy Spirit is to proclaim the realities of the Word of God unto a people that they may grow thereby. And that's exactly what's happening, is that Zechariah is the vessel to whom God is going to speak to us now as being filled with the Holy Ghost. None of this pertains to Zechariah himself. So, uh, just as yesterday, I was I was asked a question uh, that that is is Zechariah a prophet as well as he is a priest or or how does that work? Can he be both or is he one or the other? And of course, as we understand that there were many priests during the period of time of the kings and in the book of the Chronicles, and then of course going into captivities and. There were a multitude of prophets in the book of Samuel, 1st or 2nd Samuel. Well, actually, we go to 1st Samuel to begin with. That Eli was really recognized as one of the, the last of the Aaronic line of priesthood before we come to Zadok uh, in, in, that, in that order, but that God was no longer speaking to him because of the treachery of his sons. I believe it was Hophni and Phinehas and the Lord destroying them and, and Eli being basically a wretched priest. And so God wasn't even speaking to him anymore, which is where Samuel came into play as being the first prophet among a multitude of prophets that would begin after him, such as Elisha or Elijah or, or several of the other guys. <clears throat> so, and my buddy Amos, love that guy. So we find that the Zacharias is indeed in every way a priest. So that the message that's going to come through him as we look at it right now, and as we've already read through it, is, is something that is being proclaimed from God through the Holy Spirit, and, and Zechariah is that vessel that God has chosen to use to speak this truth. So make no mistake, he's 100% priest and 0% prophet, but the Holy, Holy Ghost that, that has filled him is 100% prophet. And so this is really exciting when we come down the point. Verse 67, his father Zechariah, filled with the Holy Ghost, prophesied. So the Holy Ghost is speaking through him. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people 
two points, visited and redeemed. The, the word visited here often throughout, uh, especially in King James Bible, carries a connotation of punishment or punishment as in the term of chastisement. Okay, uh, it, that God would would love His people and and provide for His people, care for His people, but not put up with their antics and and often cases disciplining His people uh, by means such as bringing them into slavery, rather in Babylon or Persia or the Medes or Greece, Rome. We see all of those things taking place and. And, and the way in which God had dealt with his people throughout the book of Judges is another example of the means by which he has to discipline an entire people group known as Israel. And so often you'll find him punishing. But in this scenario, as we move into the New Testament, the, the point being visited as recognizing that Messiah's come into the world and that Messiah has been there this whole time. Now, understand when he said, for he has visited. Visited is a past tense verb as in he has been coming. He has been there. He's visited. And, and the concept of redeemed is, is a past tense verb. And it's in its totality. It isn't a, an issue of redeeming, meaning that we begin the process, but we're still in it and we're working through it. It's not the case that he is redeeming. It, it is recognized in a past tense as a once done kind of situation where he has redeemed. So indeed, he says he has visited and he said redeemed, recognizing that this is something that, that in the plan of God is, is, is already considered as being done. Okay, that he came, that he saved. These are the these are concepts in the eternal heart of God that are that are concepts already taken care of by the foundation of the world. And so, even though Jesus has yet to come into the world because he's six months behind uh, his his cousin here, uh, uh, John understand that he's he's going to come into the world he's going to die on the cross of calvary he's going to pay that debt that man cannot pay he's he's going to to establish his kingdom he's going you know god literally and in, in the person of jesus is going to come and visit his people and and so all of these things are something that is going to happen in a future context but it's considered as it's already happened but of course, I believe, now this is just a personal belief, because if you get into uh, the writings of different uh, Hebrews, the different rabbis, that uh, I, I study a lot of Jewish literature as I consider the Old Testament, because I'd like to know what the, the thoughts of those who are closest to the Old Testament, I like to know what they're thinking about uh, the different characters, the different events that take place through the Torah. But as it would be, the angel that stayed behind and spoke with Abraham. I personally believe, even though I've gone through a multitude of different readings from different different uh, writings of Talmud and different Midrash that would be written, uh, I just I personally believe that that angel that stayed behind and and spoke with Abraham, I believe that was Jesus. I just do. The other two angels went and took care of business for Lot and his family, but that one that stayed behind, I believe. 
that that was Jesus. I believe that the captain of the guard, the captain of the Lord's armies, actually, that met with Joshua before he went to the battle of marching around Jericho, I believe that was Jesus. I just do. Plain and simple. Uh, I, I believe that Melchizedek, whom Abraham would pay a tenth of, of his goods from bringing Lot back and, and rescuing his people, I believe that that's Jesus. I just do. And, and so throughout the Old Covenant, I, I believe that there are many of a multitude of sightings of Jesus before his birth, which, by the way, is not impossible for him to be able to do, for he's God. He can do that. And I believe that indeed that, that he has visited his people. I think that this past tense of the prophecy that's being given, remember it's being given by the Holy Ghost, who is very aware of the activities of both the Father and the Son, and I think that a past tense visited, I think that that's absolutely correct. I think that he's been uh, throughout history visiting the people of Israel, and so at this point of time, he has visited his people. Uh, there are a multitude of times where he has redeemed his people. Well, who parted the, the waters for Israel to cross over and be freed from Egypt? Who who put Nebuchadnezzar in the backyard for three years eating grass like a donkey? Who, who did all of these miraculous things to, to bring forth a deliverance for the people? Indeed, I believe not only the Father, but also a working of the Son. And so that we find that he has redeemed his people. There's no question about that. As much as it's coming up in a future sense for an eternal redemption, for an eternal visitation, we also see these events from the Old Covenant that show us that he's come, he's served, he's, he's blessed, he's cared for this people. And by the way, same can be said for us. Hallelujah. I, I, I just love it. And so we come down to verse number 69. It says that not only has he visited his people and not only has redeemed his people, but he's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Now, this is a pretty exciting situation because I don't believe, I have some more research to do yet, but I don't personally believe that, that Zechariah and Elizabeth come from the lineage of David per se. They do come from the house of Judah, but I'm not too certain that they come from the same lineage that would bring forth from Jesse to David and then from David forward, uh, which, is, which is exciting because if this be the case, then the prophecy that's coming through Zechariah is a prophecy that isn't proclaiming John his son as being Messiah, of course, but as recognizing another. And of course, we know who the other is, is because it's, it's been made clear through the Gospel of Matthew, the recognition of Joseph and his connection to the direct lineage of David the king. And so when he, when he says he's raised up a horn of salvation for us, that, that horn of salvation, the word horn here is recognized the horns of the altar, it is is a word that resembles strength. When we consider a horned beast, we consider very powerful beasts, whether they be elk or, or moose or, or deer even, or bulls, oxen, things of that nature. We just see a very powerful beast before us, and the, the word horn recognizes the concept of, of strength. 
And so he says in verse number 69 that he has raised up the strength of salvation for us or a horn of salvation for us. And that is in recognition that the strength of God's salvation is going to be in this person who is going to, who has visited and is going to visit, who has redeemed and is going to redeem. It's going to be the strength of God's salvation for us. And, and by the way, if you look at the word salvation here in verse number 69, uh, in Hebrew, the word you're going to see is Yeshua. And of course, Yeshua is the name that is given unto our Savior as it has come through uh, Greek into Latin and then into English as Jesus. But this name in Hebrew is Yeshua. And so when you read it back, he says he has raised up the strength of Yeshua for us in the house of his servant David. So you're discovering that, that Jesus is he whom the Lord is going to raise up in strength to be able to do this great provision for us that no one else could possibly accomplish. And that, I mean, that in itself is very exciting. And it comes down in verse number 70. He says that he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets. Now we're, we're dealing with a multitude of, of different people that would be spoken through, which have been since the world began. Uh, very exciting because if you look at the, the connection of the mouth of a holy prophet and then you consider what he's saying has been since the world began, well, now we got to go back to Adam and, and God himself being the very first prophet prophesying of a time where the seed of the woman is going to come and bruise the head of the, of the seed of that old serpent, but the seed of the serpent will bruise his heel. So we've got to come to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, as the first initial prophecy that was not delivered by man, what was given by God himself. And of course, I personally believe, by the way, I, I have to make these introductions as being personal beliefs because of the way in which they, they come forth. But I personally believe that, that every single prophet that's existent out there that, that we consider, such as Daniel or, or, or Elijah or Elisha, some of the bigger guys, Isaiah, Ezekiel, I believe that these guys are vessels, but I believe that their prophecies are not necessarily coming from them because we know that these prophecies being fulfilled by the Lord are not through the will of man. I believe that these prophecies are, are being proclaimed unto the world by the Holy Ghost that would fill them to speak in the time that they need to speak. And that's exactly what the scriptures will tell us anyways, is that if we be a people that study to show ourselves approved unto God as concerning rightly dividing the word of truth, that in the hour that we need to speak, that God will take care of us and give us the words to say, as, he has, as Jesus had told his disciples. And so that we understand that the prophecies that have come all throughout the Old Testament and the prophecies that still come, to, that not still come to this day, we don't have a need for prophecy to be revealed because the word of God is complete and entire. But the prophecies that would come even in this day as concerning Zechariah being uh, speaking about rather John or speaking about Jesus that is to come is a recognition that he's filled with the Holy Ghost. And so throughout the line of the Bible, I believe that through all of the prophets that we consider that the prophecy is actually coming directly from God, that it's not that person 
themselves. And so, even the miracles that would be that would be performed by these different people who who had indeed caused axe heads to float and and caused wells to have sweet water than bitter the crews of oil for the widow woman and her child her child i mean the, all of these miracles that would take place all of this is from god none of this is from the power of the man of his own self so so these prophecies are delivered by god through this people it's very important i think to consider that because oftentimes we get off track thinking that it was this people that were something amazing or that it was this people that had all of these powers that were endued to them but that's not the case at all these people were just simple vessels that the Lord was capable, able to use because of their surrender to his authority. So if you want to be amazing like you think these guys were, all you got to do is submit to the Lord and surrender for his will to be done through you. That's all you got to do. Then become a monster of study from the word of God so that it's hidden in your heart so that God can use you as, as a soundboard for the world to hear his gospel. that That's all. <laughs> and so it comes down and it says in verse 71, these are the, the mouths of the holy prophets which have been since the world began, their message that we should be saved from our enemies. You know, and, and the greatest enemy that we have in this life is sin. I mean, obviously, the greatest enemy we'll ever have to face is ourself, right? And so the greatest enemy that we have is sin. And this is exactly what Jesus came to conquer. He came to conquer death. He came to conquer sin. And, and in the revelation of his sinless nature in his life and, and the accomplishment of his work on the cross of Calvary on our behalf is that our sin is not conquered by additional works to the work that Jesus did. Our sin is not conquered by, by any external things, but the internal trust in the work of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. We overcome sin, we overcome death, and we overcome a, a journey to hell, not because of anything that we have done, but because of everything that Jesus did. And so that we find ourselves in a position of sola fide, uh, by faith alone, in, in Christ alone, for the, for the hope that we can have in our salvation and the, and the finished work of God in Christ Jesus on the cross of Calvary on our behalf. This is very important that we understand this. We should be saved from our enemies and from uh, the hand of all that hate us. Now, the reality is, is that indeed we are saved from our enemies, the greatest enemy, again, being sin, but we are delivered from the hand of all that hate us. Now, that doesn't mean that, that we are physically delivered from their hand, for indeed, uh, in this nation, even if it, if it became an issue where the, where the gospel became illegal and Christianity was, was persecuted, in a heavier estate than it already faces, that we would be able to recognize that that we can you know can carry on because of the power of our God and the love of Jesus Christ, and that we can 
uh, face those moments without fear, knowing that even if there are quote unquote enemies were to try and take our life, that there would be only the flesh that they would be able to acquire because we would be delivered from that death. Now, in verse number 72, we see that not only do we have a deliverance from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us, but also we have these promises as found in verse number 72, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers. Now that blessed mercy that is promised unto the fathers is the deliverance of, of the Messiah to the people for the purpose of of getting them out of the jam that they, they find themselves in. And so the, the mercy promised is the coming of the Messiah, who, by the way, is going to be the one that's capable of saving you from your enemies and from delivering you out of the hand of all those that hate you. And he says in verse 72, to remember his holy covenant. Now the covenant entirely is dealing on the coming of Messiah for the deliverance of a people. So that's very exciting. And it comes down in verse number 73, and it says, to the, the oath which he sware to our father Abraham. Now, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham is the, is the Abrahamic covenant. It's dealing with the land that be flown with milk and honey, the land that was promised unto the people Israel. So this, this is looking at the Messiah from the perspective, of course, during that period of time of booting Rome out of the, the land of Israel, recognized as those, those borders all the way to the north again, like I would say in uh, Lebanon, uh, to the north in Syria, as it is currently recognized, uh, to the north all the way to the, the, the border of Turkey, booting out all of the Romans from that area all the way over to, the, to Iran and then coming all the way down into Jordan and, and even south from Jordan down along the line going to the border of what would be uh, Africa even. So, so the, the stretch of what would be Israel's property as given to them by the Lord and which will be restored during the millennial kingdom of Christ during that period of time in Revelation 20. So th this is what they're hoping for. This is that promise of mercy. This is that promise of the covenant that was sworn to Abraham and verse 74, that he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. The greatest desire of a people to serve him without fear. Now, remember that this is coming from the Holy Ghost that is speaking through Zechariah. Because this isn't the idea or the intention of the people during this period of time. The goal and the hope of Israel during this period of time is not to serve the Lord without fear and that being the purpose of their deliverance, but to reverse the role of slavery from, from Israel being under the heavy hand of Rome to Rome coming under the heavy hand of Israel, to, to reverse the roles of leadership in the world and that Israel finally gets its day in the garden to whip others and to to force others into labor and do all of these cruel practices that were done unto them, they get to flip the coin. So when, when you consider Jesus as being recognized as Messiah by his own disciples, right? Or you consider 
John even, as people were hoping that he would be groomed as being a Messiah that would deliver them, and, and well, deliver them, but what that means is deliver the kingdom over to them from Rome, is that people didn't have a mindset that this was for the purpose of serving God. People had a mindset that this was for a purpose of of retaliation against a people, those Gentiles, that, that severely oppressed us. It's very important to consider the way that the different ways that this is being seen because from the Holy Spirit, the the goal of the final deliverance from the Messiah is that a people are able to serve God without fear in a kingdom established by God for his children. But the people in the will of man want to flip the roles and have them reversed so that they can be the the hateful taskmasters that they've been under for generations on different kingdoms they want to they want to take over the world and have everybody groveling at their feet now instead of them remaining at the feet of their oppressors now <clears throat> very important point is this that you may be able to serve God without fear and and that is something that is able to be done in this modern day even even to this day you find yourself under the hands of oppressive governments as concerning there's other over 52 countries in the world where Christianity is illegal where the teachings of Christ or even orthodox Judaism and the teachings of of Hashem, that they are illegal, uh, unacceptable. Just believing in, in one God is illegal for the, for the multitude of religions in the different countries where Christianity and or Orthodox Judaism is illegal because we're a monotheistic people. We believe in one God. Now, granted that the Orthodox Jews would look at us and say, no, you believe in three different gods. You're talking about this Father, this Holy Spirit, and this this uh this son this jesus but the reality is is that we believe in one god and, it, and even in their old covenant scriptures which we adhere to by the way uh even in the old covenant scriptures you find that the holy spirit is actively at work in the old covenant so it's like okay well who's that well the divine presence of god is active right it's the holy spirit and that's in connection with the father but they're not the same person because God didn't leave the throne to come down here to do some work. God had the Holy Spirit at work while he's on the throne. And by the way, the Son comes as the Lamb of God. So we do believe in one God, understanding that, that he is manifested in three separate persons. They're one in essence. They're one in being. We, we believe that. So we're under persecution in much of the world. But we are able, because of the power of the Holy Spirit that indwells within us and seals us under the day of the promise of our salvation, which Jesus paid for in his own sacrifice of his death, and the resurrection that we hold to and the promise that was given, that we can serve the Lord without fear, no matter what country we're in and no matter what threat we may have to face. We serve the Lord without fear because... Greater is he who is in us than he who is in this world. And, and there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God, which has been shed abroad in our hearts by Christ Jesus. And so there's so many different scriptures that, that we could cover. I've already given three. Uh, but there's a plethora of scripture we could cover about the fact that we don't have to live in fear 
over all these different things that are happening in the world today because we are the children of God in Christ Jesus. We have the hope of salvation regardless of what happens. And by the way, just, just a little caveat here, but death is certain for all. The physical ending of this flesh is guaranteed because this flesh cannot enter into the presence of God. It's riddled with sin. It's sown in corruption. So, so death is certain for us all. It's how we meet that death. It's how we meet uh, our end that makes all the difference in the world. And you're going to either meet that end in the, in the hope and promise of the gospel through Jesus Christ, or you're going to be separated from God for eternity. That's something you got to figure out. And I pray you figure it out today because there's no greater a time for a need to be saved than right now. So we see that in verse 75, the recognition of the blessing of 74, and he grant unto us, we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies, was serving without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. Now you have this nasty little caveat that, that's put in here as concerning the way in which we serve the Lord, right? In which we might serve him. Now there's three things that, that we are called to serve the Lord with and under. The first thing is without fear. Just as it would say in, in 2 Timothy chapter number 1 and verse number 7 where he says, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. So we see that the first thing is without fear. But the second thing is in holiness. And this is something that's going to stump most of Christianity in the United States every time is this consideration of holiness. As, as would be revealed in 1 Peter chapter number 1, that, that the proclamation would come from the Lord in, in prophecy said, uh, Deuteronomy, I believe it comes from in the Torah, but he says, as the Lord your God is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of your conversation. Now, the word conversation is your attitude, is your behavior, the way that you present yourself, the way that you carry yourself. And so that we understand that Christians are to have an attitude or a behavior that they present themselves as becoming Christ. Now, that's kind of a scary concept because a lot of people, even after their salvation, act as much an idiot as they were before their salvation, and they just run around doing the fool. And then when somebody calls them out on it, they say, well, I'm a Christian. It's like, no, no, you missed the boat here on this point. Holiness. We are called to be a people holy. Now, that word is a beautiful word. I love the word holiness. It is a word that means set apart. It's a word that means God has chosen us for a very specific purpose. And he has given us life to fulfill that said purpose. And that, that when we surrender to his will, that he sets us apart to be able to accomplish that which he has in our life to do. And so it is a it is a, a separation from this world. In other words, I'm not going to act the same way I acted before my salvation. I'm not going to talk the same way I talked before my, my salvation. I may not even dress the same clothing as before my salvation. I, I, I'm a totally transformed and different human being 
upon my salvation because God has delivered me from all of that stuff I previously was and previously did. Now I'm on a whole new path, a whole new direction of living and of life, a whole new way of thinking about the world and the people in it, a whole new everything, which is exactly what uh, 1 Corinthians, or should I say 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 and verse 17 talks about when he says, Behold, uh, or old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. That's at that moment of transformation, that moment of conversion. I become a child of God. I don't get saved and then remain who I was. I don't get saved and remain in the things that I did. I don't get saved and at that point of salvation, nothing changed. That is evidence that you're not saved at all. You might have used your mouth to speak a lot of words and you might have even prayed some prayers here or there, but you haven't gone through the regeneration that the Holy Spirit does within you because being saved is an absolute recognition of the wretched human being that you were deserving of death, hell, and the grave and and a destination that was for an eternity separated from God and then recognize the power through the repentance of his deliverance of you never to be the same again. This be holiness within us. And I, I, I would love to see more holiness in people myself included, by the way, and in righteousness. Now, the righteousness isn't a person dressing up to the nines just because they believe that a suit will make them righteous, but righteousness is a recognition through humility or being humble that the what the Lord has done inside of you. Therefore, it is no longer your righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ in you that carries you unto the presentation of the gospel with everyone that you meet. And righteousness before him, which is the blood of Christ, that would cover you from the debt of your sin and keep you unto the day of redemption as you are sealed with the Holy Ghost, recognized in Ephesians chapter number 1, verse 14 to 16. And that it would be all the days of our life. In other words, there wouldn't be any slippage (laughs) that we would recognize from the deliverance of of Christ in our lives unto salvation that it carry us all the days of our lives. We would never go back to the world. We would never go back to the old ways of our nature and the the ways of our flesh. And so uh, this brings to the point that if it be all the days of our life that we live in this redeemed nature, in this forgiven state, that those who so easily pull back from the things of God to go back into the things of the world never had the things of God to begin with. See, this is a point in which I believe that our conversion unto salvation is that which is eternal, that it cannot be reversed, that it does not change, that God does not remove his promises from us, and we, once entered into those promises, never return unto the world in like manner doesn't mean that we're perfect and it doesn't mean that we have the challenges of the flesh that sin will often kind of get into but that we stand secured in the gift of God through the blood of Christ because of the promise of God that it be all the days of our lives. And so if you can so easily toss aside Christianity, it isn't that you've lost your salvation, as some would teach, or this conditional idea of salvation. It isn't that you'd lost your salvation. It's that you never had it. For if you've had salvation, you never go back from it. 
<laughs> you know the power of God. You're in the forgiveness of Christ. You never go back from it. You understand. But most people that can flippantly receive Christ and then six months later drop Christ and then three or four years later come back to Jesus and get saved again and then drop off a year or two later and then hope throughout this exchange that maybe one day they'll actually, you know, stick with it, have never had it. Plain and simple. You've never had it. God does not work salvation like a yo-yo. God does not give and then take away. God's promises in him are yes. There is no such thing as a no with the promises of God. And so that they are eternal as God is eternal. So understanding that if you are in an intense struggle right now as as believing that you've lost your salvation you need to to truly receive Christ because there wasn't a time where you even got saved there was a time when you went through the motions you you need to be saved plain and simple and those who who are having a hard time with with um being corrupt but you you understand that you have received christ but you you've gone through a lot of corruption uh, in your flesh and you you've despised it but but you you want to get it right well praise god then get it right with god and get back into the position of holiness again so that the righteousness of christ can be upon you and you can go serving serve god you want to get away from all of this other stuff then quit skipping out on church quit quit walking around on god it just serve god <laughs> just come back to the service of god get into church as well and you child shall be called the prophet of the highest for you shall go before the face of the lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge to, of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins the baptism of of, rem, of remission uh, is what John was going through and preparing the building blocks for Jesus to make a beautiful temple unto the Lord whereby the day spring on high we talked about that day spring just a couple days ago back in in uh, Matthew uh, to give light to them that sit in darkness we'll talk about that a little bit in the shadow of death guide our feet into the way of peace hallelujah light in the darkness Father, we thank you, asking that blessing be upon us, that we may rejoice in the gift of your advent this day. And we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, guys, God bless you, keep you, cause his face to shine upon you, and I'll catch you next week, Luke chapter 2, the birth of Jesus. Take care.